your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by Alex and Ryan, per usual, as Everton suffered their first home defeat under Sean Dyche, losing 2-0 to Aston Villa at Goodison Park. This is the Toffees failing to score a goal for the sixth time in the last 12 games. One that felt there for the taking up until a penalty was awarded in favor of Aston Villa and... I think overall some positives to take from the performance and a lot to talk about without question. Before we get into the episode, a couple of minor announcements. First and foremost, there is a newly formed or attempting to be formed Everton fan group, Long Island Everton fans at Long Toffees on Twitter. So if you are in that area and are looking for fellow blues to meet up with, to watch matches and just get involved with all of the fun supporters group things that take place, definitely reach out and get in, get in touch. And if you just want to hear crazy accents, you know, from Long <laughs> Island, go for it. <laughs> but definitely just for the accents, different kind of accent than the craziness of the Scouse accent, but uh, no less crazy, perhaps. Or my beloved Pittsburgh accent. Yes. You know? Yin's guys going downtown to go see him Everton toffees and at. The sun rises and sets, and Ryan tries to shoehorn a Yinzer accent into an American <laughs> Toffee Pod episode. Yeah, liar. Death taxes in the Yinzer accent from Ryan. On top of that new fan group forming, the bigger announcement this week, perhaps in relation to Everton, is that Jordan Pickford was announced that he has signed a new four-and-a-half-year deal with the club. Um, seems to be met with general positivity from the fan base. Uh, allegedly, no relegation clause in the agreement, which is a big one. Uh, seems like, I think, and, and correct me if you guys have differing opinions, but more of a safeguarding measure in the event of relegation, uh, assuming that Pickford would be one of the players kind of in demand uh, and that we could then negotiate a, a higher transfer fee for him. Yeah, those clauses have no benefit to anyone other than the player, really, and to avoid getting stuck someplace. You know what I mean? Um, so not having one is generally viewed as a positive move from a club standpoint. I mean, whatever he sells for, he sells for. It's not like having a clause is going to make it sell for higher. I, I think the only issue is, again, you've got, is he a top five keeper? You're probably paying him like a top five keeper. Um, I, I've always questioned what kind of market there would really be for him. Um, and so I think the concern is that in the summer, if there isn't a market for him and no one hits that number, you might as well keep him. And then you can kind of say, well, all right, if you replaced him, how much would that cost? And again, if you can't sell him, it doesn't really matter. So um, he's a good Premier League keeper. I don't think he's great, but on a team that's a relegation level, um, I still question the bang for the buck. I think he's overpaid for what he provides, but we don't have that many above average players to begin with. So, um, you know, I kind of understand. I don't know how much it is. Either. That's that's the funny thing, you know, James and Alex, like if you don't know what the number is, it's hard to really make too much of an intelligent decision on it but it's it's fine it's it's hard I, it's hard to have like faith that they could um you know secure a solid deal for a keeper that could be as good or better in the near term future right see, like, I don't, we've seen I don't, a lot of misses i you know i, I don't feel I don't confident that, that we could pull it either i just don't think it's but that do you hard. feel confident they could do it though i mean come of course on. of course absolutely 100 percent. Hmm. i mean how many other teams did i mean you think fulham's upset with buying lino for like four million uh how many other teams sat there with no signings in january Excellent point, Alex. Touche, Alex. <laughs> Boom. 
check. We'll not hear it again. Ryan's Ryan. Uh, All right, we need to. Tech. Yeah, let's let's get things moving here. Um, before we get into the match itself, just a reminder that if you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review podcast platform of choice. Follow us on social media at USA Toffee Pod, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And join our Discord invite.gg slash ATP. All right, guys, instant reactions from Twitter. Alex, kick us off. All right, I've got Jonathan Martin at your boy, Jay Martin. Loved the effort and press. Officiating was terrible right from the start. Difference was quality up front, but the scrappy goal just didn't come for us today. Yep. Anthony Taylor will certainly discuss his refereeing performance throughout this episode. I went with Andrew Helberg at Andrew Helberg. Disappointing loss. Frustrating to see Cody get a run out when he's clearly a weak link. Awobi yet again showed that we need to be getting him on the ball more, creating through Dwight McNeil is so one-dimensional. That being said, feel hard done by to not have at least scored. It did indeed feel that way. We'll talk about all the chances, major opportunities, um, but some good creation numbers from the wide areas, and as Andrew points out, uh, some less-than-ideal defending from Connor Cody, as we have pointed out time and time again on this show. And my choice was the mighty Owen Parks 1-2-3. It was always going to be close. We created enough to get something from the game. Lack of quality, not application, I would say. If we get ahead, we win, no question for me. Uh, Would have been nice to have more options up front to help us, but we have to crack on. The effort and organization is there, but everybody knows about the limitations. And yeah, I, I just think there's not an ideal setup here when you've had players bought from several different managers and the managers have had so much influence in the buying. Um, we'll get down into the discussion. You know, the real question that remains to me is, you know, are we um, approaching things in a way that really doesn't get the best and, and maximizes our ability to score goals? And that talks a little bit to Dwight McNeil, who was very good today, but is he one dimensional? We'll get to that in a second. Yes. First, before we get into the lineups and timeline, just the one correct score prediction from our Discord. Again, that's invite.gg slash ATP to join. It was A, Manhania. A lot of optimistic blues coming off the win last week. Uh, Very few people predicted a loss and even fewer predicted the correct one. So just the one today. Now let's get into the lineups, starting with Ryan and Villa's selection under Unai Emery. Emery's been playing... um... It's listed as a 4-4-2, but I think it effectively looks more like a 4-2-2-2. Is that too many twos? I don't think so. Uh, I don't want to pull like Ted Bailey there at Chelsea, who is a fan of the 4-4-3 formation. Um, That's a joke. I hope that seriously didn't happen. Anyway, um, Dean, Ramsey, and Bailey come in for Marino, Coutinho, and and Buendia. I, I think that transaction right there just shows that They've got a bit more talent than us. <laughs> um, but now if you look at it, I mean, like McGinn's listed as a wide player. That, that's not exactly how they play. Um, so but that was big changes. And, and honestly, they've had two games where they've gotten beat by very good teams before that, even though they got creamed score wise by Leicester. They actually played really well in that game. I actually watched that one. Um, and look, I mean, you know, Unai Emery is a very good manager and um, had enough time to kind of put in his method of play. Um, not that they were very impressive, but they do have some talent. I think looking at that lineup, it's 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 obvious that they do. Yep. And that brings us to Everton. Probably not surprising to anyone. It ended up being unchanged from the last time out. Um, you know, I personally was pretty disappointed not to see at least Amina in for Connor Cody, who hit, had his 30th birthday today. Happy birthday to him. Maybe kind of uh, the only attacking subs on the bench. Once again, to Ryan's point were Damari Gray and Ellis Sims. So obviously not exactly flush with options up front, especially firepower. Although Gray still is somehow 
Everton's top scorer in the league um, and continues to see minimal minutes off the bench. Yeah, we'll talk about how he kind of came in and what a difference it was. Not much of one, I think. Um, again, it's the same. Tactically, the setup was the same 4-5-1 that we've seen. Um, we saw a little bit of what we saw last week, a lot of kind of trying to get on second balls, pushing numbers higher. I, I think we saw a little differently is the the amount of high press by Everton. And I guess if you start to think about it numerically, if if Villa are going to try and play that narrow 4-2-2-2, uh, that makes sense. You can get guys up forward and somewhat outnumber them. You know what I mean? Um, with Mope kind of trying to push people wide and then people filling in the gaps. And if you could tell they were trying to play and cut through lines and play the ball and get it through to Ramsey in particular, who's kind of sitting off to the left. Um, Kamara was drifting back a lot. He had a bad giveaway. I feel like last week trying to play it out of the back. So I had no problem with the, with the, the approach. And if you think about it, you know, you don't have a target striker. That's probably the best use of the moped to try and win some balls up near to the goal and, and hit them quickly. Um, when we did have possession, you saw us playing a lot to the left. Um, Cody and Tark were doing a pretty good job playing the long ball out to McNeil and Mikalinko at times. Matty Cash, I thought, was somewhat overwhelmed at times. He was a guy that I really kind of wanted us to look at a couple of years ago. I'm not sure if I got that one wrong or not. That might be one that honestly, I, I thought he would, he was more of a winger before. And I thought you might see more attacking talent from him and you just don't see it. And that he could adapt as a more defensive right back because he's such a good athlete. I'm just not seeing it for him. I thought that's where we had the most success. Um, again, the concern though, is when you're pressing high um, and they break through that initial pressure, what happens? I mean, that's, that's the issue. I think the other critique is to the one dimensional in terms of attack um, and, you know, forcing long balls over to McNeil and Mikalinka, like we said at the beginning, I mean, is firing crosses into the moped with Decore and Awobi on the backside really a good way, especially we had Onan on the left. Is that really a good way to create big chances? Um, I don't know. You know, those are those are kind of debates. I mean. I don't know what you guys thought. I mean, you can look at the balance. We have the numbers in front of us. I think that that very much did tell the story, though, how how the game played out on both sides. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's it's clear. And as we break the game kind of game down and the timeline into different phases, there were periods where Everton were, were very dominant um, and created a lot of good chances. I'd agree, Ryan, to the point like, yeah, probably crossing, 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 crossing with the setup isn't really maybe the best recipe, but also we haven't found a good recipe scoreless in six of our last 12, as I said, at the top of the episode. So um, at some point it's like, let's just try everything possible. But at the same time, we we've really just seen kind of this one dimension of play uh, under Sean Dyche and it's kind of worked. We've got a couple wins, so there's something to be said for that. But, sure. you know, the chances really just the finishing is continues to be a problem. And as, as you say, Mopai is not really going to be the guy that's going to be finishing a lot of those crosses into the box. Well, and that, that's the issue. I mean, how much is it finishing and how much of it is, is approach? Um, it, but that being said, I mean, Villa didn't create a whole lot. And look, we were in their territory a lot. And, and we did we did a good job preventing them from hitting us on the counter for the most part. Um, there were a couple moments, we'll get in the timeline, where our back line got exposed. But if you continue to run those guys out there, that's the risk that you have. Boy, you'd think you'd watch this one and make some chances on that. But look, I mean, Villa, every time they got the ball and had a chance, they wanted to go down the left side. 47% of the time they attacked down the left, which makes sense. Why would you not? I mean, Coleman's been playing well, but I mean, you have Cody over there. Every single time they look for Watkins, and if Watkins got the ball, 
Cody just kind of backed off and that gave Villa time and space to really move it out there. Or Ramsey would get the ball and run behind Iwobi or Coleman if Coleman was pushed high. And that creates difficult situations for us. 43% of the time we went down the left, um, 37% down the right. Surely we were pushed wide, even though we had numbers in the midfield, but that's how we've been playing. So yes, James, to your point, we clearly had an identity. Is it the best identity to scoring goals with our personnel? Maybe not. Um, but I still think we had some pretty good control the majority of the game, and and it seems like the result was a little harsh. Yeah, I think I think most fans would agree. You know, there there was and especially the fact that their first goal came via the penalty that was we'll talk about it, but a little bit soft. But in terms of like our shape, our shape I think is a little different from from what we've seen in in previous games, at least. In the wide areas, you kind of had, especially Mikalenko getting up further than we've seen him in recent times and forming this little bit of like a triangle supported by Onana behind Dwight McNeil. And then on the other side, you had Alex Wolby wide and Ghana and Decore kind of shifting over there um, and kind of vacating really the entire middle of the pitch just yeah, to well, kind of try to dominate those wide areas. Wolby, you could see, was dropped back a little bit. I mean, he cut inside for the goal scoring chance early that we'll talk about. But for the most part, you could see him backing off and kind of creating space for people to run onto. Alex, I was hoping that he hit Coleman with the one, another one of those because I thought it was open at times. Um, but no complaints on Alex. When he had the ball there, he was still dangerous. Um, yeah, just there were times, too, that I think we had runners and maybe didn't make the right decisions or didn't quite attack quickly. When we did, we were effective, but it is what it is. James, you put up the R stats numbers up here. The expected threat is pretty dramatic and and it does, I think, capture a little bit of the feel for the match. Yeah, so we we haven't talked a lot about expected threat. Everyone's, if you listen to this show, hopefully you're familiar it, with it. It's XG. real simple expected threat. It is. I don't know how useful it is, but it, it it's yet another. I just want people to understand, like we cite stats because they give you an optic or a piece of information. We're not like a religiously, oh, the yeah. stats are end all be all. No one views that way. We're just trying to give perspective. And I feel like I've been in some battles this week for some people. <laughs> and so I want to clarify that. Your dang spreadsheets, Ryan. Well, look, no one, no one that uses data would ever think that it's the end all be all. Would you ever make decisions based on stats or anything like that? And, and any good analyst knows that. So I just hate when people are like, well, I believe my eyes. I've been at Everton for watching Everton for 40 years. And I just don't care. Like I don't, that doesn't tell me anything in all honesty. I mean, what yeah. matters is your judgment and, and data does help you, especially get a feel for how you compare to the rest of the league. Because I don't, if you've been in sitting at Goodison your whole life, you haven't been at other places too in the same day. And so it's hard you can, and you don't have photographic memory. So clearly there's some usefulness in some context of numbers, but this number was pretty one-sided. It's normally not like this. Yeah, exactly. Like it's usually much more balanced and we don't point it out, but the X threat, which in the simplest of terms, it's, it's actually a rather complicated calculation, but it, it, what it tries to measure is how well each team moved the ball into or possessed the ball in areas of the pitch that are more likely to result in a goal. And today Everton's number was 2.18 compared to Villa's 0.95. So huge disparity there. And I think that supports the eye test. We had the ball in dangerous areas a lot, just weren't able to create or finish chances out of possessing it from there. Yeah, I mean, there, you can use almost touches in the penalty area of final third as a proxy, but the intent True. is this measures mostly proximity to goal. I mean, that's really what it is. You know, how often did you have the ball in the areas closest to the goal or the areas that produce the most goals? And and yeah, I mean, that's that's how it felt. You know, it's no different yeah. than leaving a match. And, and you know, the, the original concept behind XG was just like, and one match XG is problematic, of course, we know that. But like that feel for God, I felt like we were hard done. Like today, I felt like two one or two zero is really harsh for what we created. And this is just another way of measuring how, how one-sided or how hard done we thought we got. That's all it does. And we'll get into how, just how hard done by we were after this brief word from our sponsors. 
All right, we're back, folks. Getting into the timeline of the match, and this one starts off pretty early as Amadou Onana really technically would have picked up a yellow card in like the first 10 seconds. It ended up being in the second minute due to, I think, in what we might call an inexplicable delay and a frankly very bizarre call to kick off the match. You rarely see the refs going to their you know pockets this early in carding players, and this one was especially weird because of that strange delay. The foul happens, play goes on. He's laying on the ground, crying, crying, and eventually Anthony Taylor goes to his pocket and makes the first of countless questionable decisions on the day. Well, the odd part about the timing, other than the fact that it took literally forever for him to even come to that conclusion as the referee, was the fact that he waited until Onada came over, you know, gave Douglas Luis, Luis, I believe it was, you know, just a pat to say, hey, you know, my bad, didn't mean anything by it. And then he's walking away. Next thing you know, he gets a yellow card. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, if he never even walked over there, would there have been an issue? I mean, it, it just, it was so late after, after uh, you know, play was stopped. I think the ball went out at that point in time. Um, but it wasn't good. You know, Onana, he, uh, he's definitely uh, rash in, in some, some challenges he takes. You never want to see one of your three central midfielders on a yellow in the second minute is really all it comes down to. It's absolute nonsense. It's absolute garbage. I'm sorry. It is. I mean, why are you waiting? Give the yellow card. Seriously, Alex, I think to your point, if he doesn't come over, does he lie? Oh, geez, I guess I'll give him a yellow. And there were so many late whistles today. And not because of playing advantage. Um, this was one, I mean, it just started off with a bang already. I mean, this was just such a inconsistently officiated match. And unfortunately, it's just grown too common here in, in the English Premier League, especially compared to, to other top matches. Um, look, I don't think we started out that great. Um, you know, the one number we have up here through the 21st minute, I mean... Villa had 67% of the ball, three to one in shots. I mean, there were no corners for Everton, 83% pass percentage by Villa. So it took a while for Everton to get in the game. Um, the Wobie big chance in the seventh was interesting. It was a McNeil cross where Alex cuts in front. He's just on his left, unfortunately, and doesn't get much, much on it. But to me, this was the perfect example of how to use Neil Mopin. You know, he was running behind the fullback, behind Cash. I think it was, was it Wobie that played him in? Someone played him in. Um, he got the ball. He held it up. You know what I mean? Um, I, or pardon me. McNeil played in Awobi, But the point is, that's how you use Mope. You know, you play him in a space and have him, you know, have the center halves constantly looking around themselves. Um, Villa had a very big chance here in the ninth, though, that I, I think Watkins probably could have done a little better with Pickford makes a good play. And this, you know, I can't help. But this made me think immediately. Why is Connor Cody? Happy birthday. Still playing matches. For Everton, I mean, what is if Yerry Mean is on the pitch on this play, what does this look like? The other, you know, you see from the beginning, and as you said, right, the game plan was simple. We were going to press high from the beginning. We know who we have in the back, right? Connor Cody, James Tarkovsky. Neither one of them are very quick at all, especially in recovery pace, but you can't have them hold a a, a, a defensive line that's so deep you have the the perilous gap that we've spoken about many, many times. And so you just know that with Ollie Watkins' pace and, and some of the other guys on their team, you know, Leon Bailey, for example, he's not he's not hurting for any pace, let me tell you. You know, those guys were always going to be hitting on the counter, and that was a very, very, very early warning sign, but it was a good read from Pickford. And then Villa kind of take off from, from there into the 21st, as Ryan already mentioned. But then right around that same point, momentum clearly shifts back in favor of Everton, and this is where we've kind of grew into the game. The crowd started to get on our side helped by some of those questionable Anthony Taylor decisions. Constant booing. 
totally riled up. But from the 21st minute through halftime, it really was dominant from Everton. Six nothing in shots, three nothing in corners. Villa had 14 defensive aerials, uh, but they were winning a lot of them. And that is, you know, part of the problem with our front line. Tyrone Ming, six for six. Konza, three attempts. Dean, two. But there were still a couple decent. I mean, in, in, within those chances, some really good ones, notably uh, the Awobi corner that went to Neil Mopai kind of in the center. Dude, where did he get the ups for that one? Like Mopay, I've never seen him jump high at all in my life. He flies up here and makes this incredible flicked header. And we just can't get it to the back. But like that is like the near post. You know, he's got the far post and then the near post one. This was the perfect play and it's just such a bummer we didn't score this is such a big chance but yeah and, and then right after that i mean you had another one where you've got like a Wobi with this great pass over the top for mcneil and he crosses into the near post for Minope, and you're just like I, we could do this all day and not score so it just you just kind of felt like the chances were going to come from a corner as typical um yeah i mean and we had another one where we finally got someone tall at least up forward and i think there was some thought in dice's mind to try and get Onan and Decore to to an extent as well up forward and get on the ball uh, in the 33rd. This is a great cross by Mikalenko, who who finally showed a little bit of his attacking acumen today for the first time in a long time. Yeah, he actually really did grow into the match. But, uh, you know, I think I think McNeil passes the ball back to Miko into space kind of near the, the corner of the 18 yard box, swings it in right on Onana's head. And, you know, we've talked about Onana maybe being a little lacking um, in the aerial department, especially for his size. But he gets the ball on target. Martinez makes a really good save, although, you know, it was kind of right at him, just, you know, obviously right you know above his head. Um, definitely. And again, another really big chance for Everton. It was it was a positive sign. And, and you know, we, we just continued to grow um, throughout the, the remainder of the first half. Yeah. And then the one just before half hurts. It's a it's a decent chance. It's McNeil laying it off in the box for Mopai, who has time to, like, settle it and then take the hit and he tries to kind of curl it and just doesn't get enough on it. And ultimately it's a pretty routine save for Martinez in a really good position and could have been a really good chance to score. He's kind of blocked off here. It's really the only place he can shoot by the time he gets it. I, I think if Nick, if McNeil plays it earlier and, and he'll hits it one time, he's got a pretty good chance of scoring a couple of times. I saw it, Dwight. The only critique on McNeil today was a couple of times he got it, got the head down immediately and kind of, was too slow and methodical with it. And granted, he looks slower because he's tall. I mean, that's just how it was. But yeah, I, I don't have a real problem with this shot because uh, although I think he's got to try and shoot it back through the defender. Um, if it gets blocked, it gets blocked because Martinez had already guessed right and was over to the left. Um, but yeah, these are big chances, you know, and we go into halftime and it's tied. And I think most Evertonians felt, geez, that we would have really liked to get one here. And it just wasn't to be. But I will say this. I mean, we started off the second half well, too. I mean, there was kind of a continuation from it. I, you know, we had seen under Lampard how often we went into second half. It didn't really play well or keep up the momentum. And you knew Emery was going to make a change. He was going to make some alteration and try and get more of the ball or whatever he was going to do. But I mean, it kept going on, really. I mean, and so I think the biggest change. Well, I, I failed to mention the Awobi gets pulled back in the first minute, of the second half, no call at all. I mean, just the officiating was so bad so many times. But our biggest chance is clearly in the 53rd. And, and frankly, I'm still not sure how the heck we, we didn't score. Um, this is the game changer here. I think this goes in. It's a totally different match. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's chaotic to say the least. I mean, it starts with 
the McNeil set piece. James Starkowski gets a header. Awobi has a shot kind of wide of goal. Kanz is on the ground. It bounces out from him. Um, and, and Mings ultimately clears it off the line just barely. I think go to some park. There's just that pause. Like everyone's anticipating it going in. It gets Look at cleared. The watch. Waiting, exactly. Waiting for the goal line technology to kick in. And it clearly didn't go over the line, but really, really close. And it just felt like, okay, if that doesn't go in, it's just not happening for Everton today. Yeah. And I, I felt a little bad for Mope at this point because he makes a great break on the ball. Everyone's kind of standing. His anticipation's perfect. He jumps on it. No one else really moves. And I, I'm, I'm sure, I don't know if he even realized McGinn was, or uh, Mings was in the play and just, Kind of headed it right back and bang, it got saved. I mean, you see the ball's literally on the line. It's just brutal. I mean, it's just unlucky. I mean, that, that one I just think is unlucky. I, I don't I don't know what to say about it. And and you know, ultimately we were still very much in control, except for there was suddenly a moment where they broke through our pressure in the 59th, which we had our own version of clearing it off the line, I guess, for lack of a better description. Yeah, I mean, you know, Coleman was caught up pretty high and Awobi started to track back on on Luca Dean on the left hand side or their left hand side, but he was blown past as well, and and that found Luca Dean in space to cross it in from the end line to Ali Watkins. Um, you know he rises way above Mikalinko, who really just uh, just kind of sits and almost ducks under him, I guess, to undercut him. If you if you would go or if you could say he was attempting to do anything at all in the play, Jordan Pickford with an insane save. I want to be honest. I thought live that this was in the back of the net. I, I was really confused and dejected because I I, I genuinely did not think that it was going to be cleared off. Um, but to see Tarkovsky cleared off the line, um, you know, that was the moment where you take a deep breath and say, okay, now we're even. Yeah. And then of course, just two minutes after that, we kind of escaped by the skin of our teeth in the 59th. And then the 61st is the penalty. It is Ghana on John McGinn in the box. Um, it's a really good first touch from Buendia off who just come off the bench. Like what the heck? Yeah. It's, uh, it's a little bit ridiculous and, I don't know. We, we were talking about it before we started recording. They really did not show very many good angles of this one. Initially, I thought it was a clear penalty, Ghana going to ground. And then I saw one replay where it looks like, oh, I think he might have got a touch on the ball before the contact. That's a BS call. And then they basically didn't show it again after that. So it was kind of unclear. But uh, Ollie Watkins steps up and buries it down the middle. His uh, fifth consecutive game scoring a goal. Gut punch, right, guys? Yeah, it's brutal. I want to see it again. I mean, I've seen a couple different angles on it. It looks to me that, you know, McGinn takes off. um, He's running with the ball. I think it's a bad decision by Ghana to go after the ball. Uh, No question about it. I'm not defending him whatsoever, but God, it seems like he gets a little bit of it. And if he gets his toe on it at all, I think the majority of the contacts created somewhat by McGinn running, not quite to the side of the ball, but certainly on the player's side of the ball. And, And I thought, I thought the way the rules are written now, if the offensive player, in essence, initiates the contact and it's not really making a play on the ball, I, I, I don't think it I don't think it should count. But um, I don't know. I, I just look, the sad part is in this instance is Ghana was playing a very good match. Um, I mean, he had, he had today he had six tackles, three interceptions today, for heaven's sakes, two clearances, 92.3 percent passing. That's the best pass rate on the entire team of anyone that started. He was fouled four times. He just wasn't given never gave the ball away. Not a single turnover. He was an absolute rock in the middle, but one moment like that and you're punished. I mean, I I don't know, Alex, what do you think? Because you're the third that hasn't mentioned anything. I just, I don't like this call, but I had no doubt in my mind he was going to make it because it seemed like everything else went against us. Yeah, we're on the same page, right? I I personally, I thought he got a touch on the ball. Other angles show that he did. Um, They played a very, very, very fast replay of a different angle on VAR, you know, live of the match and, 
definitely looked suspect from that angle, but um, I don't like it. And again, you just, he's a veteran player. Um, you know, you, you, you just can't, you can't make the play um, in that situation. I don't think you can't do it. I know he's really good at it. Yeah. I know that he, he makes a ton of tackles. Um, it's just not the moment in which you put yourself in that situation. And I think, you know, to one of the earlier comments, um, maybe even, I believe one of the Twitter comments, uh, from, from after the match to their point. I mean, if we're up in any of those instances we talked about before this match to eat, does, does he even feel the need that he has to like go after a tackle like that? I'm not sure. No, you know, maybe I, I we don't find you. ourselves in situations like that. So, um, it, it's tough to swallow, I think. And, and, you know, you kind of started to feel like maybe at that point in time, it was going to you know, go downhill or maybe it was going to be hard to come back from, you know, because the first thought in my mind is, well, now it takes two goals to really get what we need from this match. Yeah, it's just the the risk reward is not there, right? The re- the the reward is okay, you you win the ball and he's, you know, in he's central, but he's we've got plenty of guys between him and goal. It's not really a clear shot. The risk is you give them a 76% chance to get an easy goal, which we did. Um, but that said, Villa have dropped points from winning positions in two of their last three games against Arsenal and Leicester. Um, we know that scoring goals isn't our strength. Scoring goals from losing positions, also not really our strength, but they have shown some weaknesses when leading. It was a little bit late. I didn't think the game was completely over, given that how against the run of play the goal was. But it certainly signaled a shift in, I think, the, the general trend up to that point. Well, I think the problem is the first goal is always going to matter so much because now they can sit back a bit. And they've already shown resistance to the crossing and the firing the balls in. So now you're just going to make it even harder on yourself. Uh, I mean, from the 22nd, 21st minute when we really started playing up to the penalty, it was 10 to 2 in shots. So 3-0 three, three on corners. Uh, you know, Crypties at Crypties. His comment, thoroughly dominated for 65 minutes, but you can't win if none of your players know where the net is. Uh, I get that. Um, You know, the last thing I'll say about the penalty is there was minimal delay before he took the penalty, almost to a point of awkwardness on a play that I thought was reviewable and debatable, whereas other decisions today he took forever on waiting, people laying on the ground. And just it was a very strange match from a refereeing standpoint, almost to the point where it just felt like. I mean, I don't want to talk about something nefarious, but it was unusual to me. Um, so anyway, Everton try and turn to, to your point, Matt, uh, James, turn this thing around and gather points and at least tie it up. Uh, their sub was Dice thought subbing gray in for a Wobie was one way to do that. Um, I thought it was kind of ironic. You know, when Dia comes in with his very first touch, lays it off to McGinn, draws the penalty. Gray's first touch is basically the moped does a great job holding the ball up serving it over to gray and gray kind of like chunks a shot into a defender on the net where he had the whole left side open. Gray really didn't do much. I, does this make any sense taking a Wobie off at this point? I didn't see him get injured or anything. I just don't, I mean, wouldn't you swap out one of the midfielders then to, if you're going to still play this four five one, I, I just don't, I don't understand this at all. It only, it only makes sense if he's thinking he's saving a Wobie some, some sort of fresh legs for, for Arsenal and in a handful of, of days time, which, you know, Again, it's also kind of ironic. I think it's a weird sub, but Wobie had had a good game up to that point. I think an interesting move would have been to like take Onana off, who's on the yellow, shift to Corey and Ghana maybe a little deeper, move a Wobie central, and then you have more of an attacking impetus. You have a Wobie able to facilitate um, from like a, a number 10 area. Um, but he didn't do that. Went for, I guess, like a winger for a winger for what you think might be in his head, a like for like substitution. But yeah, gray, ineffective. 
And a number of listeners pointed it out in their comments. Like, we just have no options. And we pointed it out at the top. It's Tom Davies, Damari Gray, Ellis Sims as options, really from an attacking standpoint. And he used all three of them. Uh, and we saw how that really went. It was not great. Uh, another noteworthy play was the yellow on Decore, which is one of the softest, most absurd yellows. I stood up and gasped and yelled when it happened. I couldn't believe that they called that. We've seen that type of play called a couple times in the last few weeks against Everton. The trailing arm after you've already beat a man, it just seems so soft. Every player is looking for that slight bit of contact to their upper torso or face to so they can flop when they've already been well beaten and outpositioned. It's a joke. It's another joke on top of a number of jokes. How do you fall Anthony for Kelly. that? I mean, seriously, like that's embarrassing as an official. I, I mean, at the highest level, how do you fall for that garbage? Like, I, I just don't get it all. It's absolute nonsense to me. And then, I mean, we make the sub Ellis Sims in for, for Mope, which look, I understand he's going more for like for likes at this point. And I know we created some chances, but I just think that you've got to do something to score. You know, why not make a change, a legit change? Um, if that's the case, I don't know why we're ever changing players out at all. Um, you know, I, I just don't you know. What can I say? Uh, you know, it is interesting, though. I mean, Sims had a chance relatively early when he first came on somewhat his first touch. It would have been a tough shot, but. I just can't help but think when he came on, it's like the exact type of play that Mope scores on. Like those are the types of plays that he's really good at. And it was kind of this half side volley that Sims hit nowhere near the goal. Um, again, I just think we're asking a lot for him and you saw what he does. You know I mean? The only thing he can really do in the air is flick it directly over his head. And I think one time Gray was savvy enough to run in behind him and get the ball, but it just, I don't know if I want to say it all fell apart, but we certainly didn't look more dangerous with these guys. It almost felt like we lost, a sense of identity. And then pretty soon after that Villa hit us for the second. And I mean, this thing is just so there's so many bad things about this goal um, in particular for our center halves. But I mean, really there's one major culprit here. Um, your notes in, in the, in the document are really funny. I have to admit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Ollie Watkins putting Mikalenko on his back. He lays it off to McGinn, sends it to Buendia. Uh, Buendia does, an absolute evisceration of Connor Cody caught flat footed his ankles. May they rest in peace. They're not coming back from that. It was an embarrassing bit of defending easily beaten. And also Tar James Tarkowski coming over and basically like standing directly on top of him, interfering with the play. You're not adding anything. There's nothing additive from you standing directly next to Connor Cody, who had just been roasted. Uh, and it makes it kind of easy for Buendia. Ultimately, it's a nice finish, but so passive rooted to the spot. Does nothing, you know, we talked about Connor Cody trying to contain. Uh, he contained the grass directly in front of him. I don't know if he did a good job of containing the actual player who's supposed to be defending. Even worse, I mean, Tark coming out of position basically gives him a, a if he wants to pass it across the goal back towards the spot, it's a tap in. I mean, because Mikalinko didn't react to that. He was on the guy in the far post. It's just, you know, they just don't defend well in transition. But I mean, Cody... I mean, I just think this says it all to me. You know, I mean, he doesn't even come close. He doesn't even get himself in a position, to even take him down or do anything to prevent him. He got absolutely rinsed. He might as well have been standing still. It was like a statue. He was um, standing still. I, I mean, but like at one point you need to move. Like, I, I don't know. Um, that's that's a professional scout input. At some point you, you have to move. <laughs> well, I just I don't see any justification for him to be in there. And uh, the more and more you continue to put him back here, I, I mean, the Watkins chance earlier was a classic example, too, where he just too slow. His reactions were slow. He's not physical enough. He's not quick enough. Um, I, you can't keep putting him back there, especially when you have much better players on the bench. 
And uh, the worst excuse for me, the justification to not play Mina is that he can't stay fit. Who cares? His difference is so much more. I don't want to hear this chemistry garbage. He's twice the player that Cody is. We'll get into some some of the numbers in a second. I have to give Tom Davies credit, though. I mean, coming in from the 82nd, um, I don't know how many touches he ended up with. Let me double check here on it. Um, He had eight. Um, I believe he had more shoves of Villa players than eight, though. Just want to throw that out there. Sims had only four, which shows you how effective we were getting him the ball. Yeah, he came in like, uh, shout out Miley Cyrus, like a wrecking ball and just what wanted was... to shove everyone in sight. What? Like late shoves, too. There was one on the sideline where yeah, the ball what? was past him and he just goes in and just two hands shoves the player. So weird. I don't understand it. Um, but Rile yeah. him up. I mean, yeah, I was just... frustrated, too, but come on. Just trying to be disruptive, I guess. And um, I don't really know if he accomplished that, but shots seven to six from open play. The uh, XG philosophy had the XG at 1.74 for Everton to 1.71 from Villa. That, of course, includes their penalties. So really less than one uh, expected goals from open play and set pieces combined. Very one sided. But yet here we are with Everton escaping with zero points. Yeah, I mean, 28 crosses to eight, too. I mean, that was the name of the game. And look, you know, it, uh, you can go through every individual play and make excuses why we didn't score on them. But eventually, at some point, someone's got to score. And uh, as much as I continue to f- defend Neil Mope and don't believe we're necessarily doing him a lot of favors. And, and I will say this. I think his hold up play was actually pretty good today. That was probably the best thing he did. You'd like to see him score one of these. And I mean, really what it comes down to is I think the header was a little bit bad luck. And look, this stuff happens like it does happen. In all honesty, you know, it, it, it's a little bit of bad luck that we didn't at least score one. However, we like we can't have bad luck at this point. You know, if you have a run of bad luck, it's over. We're down. And um, so, yes, there were some good things here and there were some good performances. But, you know, you just got to hope that we eventually break through somehow. I mean, 1.74 is not a bad number in terms of chances being created for this team. If you play sound defense, you're going to win those more often than not, because I think this team is going to be well-organized defensively, especially if Cody eventually gets sat down. But there were some standout performers. I I mean, there were some good performances by Everton players today. Yeah, and I think first and foremost for me on that list, at least, is Dwight McNeil. Uh, Four key passes for him. He was obviously taking a number of set pieces, but seven for eight in dribbles is a crazy stat. That's the highest number, um, well, for an Everton player besides another player who played today uh, in quite some time. I mean, seven dribbles in a single match. He was also two for four in tackles, had an interception, uh, tied for the team lead in touches with Seamus Coleman with 68. He was dispossessed four times, and I saw a lot of people kind of you know, getting on him for that, but he was basically our furthest forward player for the majority of the match, and he had roughly as many touches as Wobie and Mopai combined, so you kind of have to forgive him for getting a little sloppy with the ball at times. He was trying to create a couple fouls, um, and again, about half his creation was from set pieces, but I think a good performance from him on, on the day. A couple moments where he showed a good ability to retain possession while being kind of harangued by like three or four Aston Villa players. Um, seems to be kind of finding his level a little bit under Sean Dyche. You know, he's still going to be, uh, be critiqued a lot by for his lack of pace and some of his predictability, but I thought he was good today. Yeah, and he he was, as Ryan mentioned earlier, he was well supported by Mikalinko in the attack, I think, today compared to, you know, usual and, and especially the recent past. So it'll be interesting to see how they continue to develop that, you know, that left side of relationship moving forward. Um, for me, it was Ducore. You know, he had a key pass, a couple shots, none on target, though. But he had eight dribbles. And and seriously, there were two two sequences in my mind that probably come up with at least three or four of those each sequence. I mean, 
the guy was dribbling through, and one of them was that Ellis Sims chance towards, I think, like the 76th minute, in which, you know, he dribbles past like three players and then kind of allows it to Sims in the box. Um, but, you know, on the defensive side, and again, as as it was previously highlighted, Ghana took care of a lot of that work, but he still had to tackle a couple of interceptions. Um, he definitely has some sloppy moments in the box, right? Like the one where he just trips over himself on the right, right-hand right side of the box, you're kind of hoping like you could do something better there. And I think he even maybe got a dribble or two um, leading up to that moment too. But, you know, I thought that he linked up play pretty well. He definitely drove the team forward um, from the right-hand side. He he went on those insane runs with the ball, and and I thought he did a pretty good job of keeping his head up for the pass, although it didn't always come off. Eight of the sloppiest or like clumsiest looking dribbles yes. I've ever seen. It was wild. He beat a guy. He looks funny. And he looked like he's going to fall over, and then he just juke the crap out of the next guy and then beat another guy for good measure. That's it him. was it was I think awesome. he at least had one Meg, too. It was That's hilarious. Him. Oh, he loves Meg. So that's him. I mean, he'll make this unbelievable through ball one second and the other second will like stumble over. You know, the sad part is the moments are fewer and far between now for him than maybe they used to be. He's still an effective player, but he's just not quite what he was a couple of years ago, really. That's that's all it really comes down to. Still an effective player, though, and I thought I agree with you. He played pretty well. I, I think there's kind of a drop off here in terms of performances, you know, I, I, after that. So I had trouble picking. And now at this point, since you called me out last pod on picking too many players, I'm absolutely doing it every time now. Um, so unless you're <laughs> well, you're doing me, it every time anyway. So fine. Well, this now is, is that's usual. right. That's what you get. That's what you get. Um, I mean, Mikalinko was all in attack, three for five in crosses, didn't really have too much of an impact on defense, but, and gone, I would have picked two if he hadn't made that terrible mistake. Um, Awobi, I mean, he was three for six in crosses, three for three in long balls, one for one in through balls, two key passes. Most of that was in the opening frame, two shots. I mean, really, again, he, every big chance is basically him, you know, on the, on the Mope missed header. That was an Awobi shot. Now, granted, I have no idea why Konza was on the ground, like, laying there after tussling with Tarkowski. I think about it of all those. Uh, he had a lot of people around him. He had one bad touch today. I mean, he was pretty darn good again. You know, you get a couple of people out on Twitter saying how bad a was and McNeil can never create anything. It's just these people are idiots, man. They're not watching the game or they're just mad because they were wrong about the player. But there were plenty of good individual performances. I mean, Tark wasn't bad either, but you know, just not enough. And, and, you know, moving into, instead of calling people out for bad performances, I, I think the question is, um, you know, what questions remain here that still need to be answered? You know, what are the keys going forward? What did we learn from this and what new questions ha- have arisen? And I think the number one ask is ultimately, how do we create better chances and score more goals? I mean, it's still not sure. You know, I mean, this approach seemed to result in a good performance, but I just was never all that convinced that we're going to score, especially not from open play. Yeah, well, I just think back to when we did the kind of January squad assessment and you know, window preview and looking at the areas we needed to improve. And we are like the big conclusion we came to is, yeah, you can get more out of this group of players to some extent, but we need more talent. And that is what we did not get. So I think you're really kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel when you're looking at additional solutions. We've already highlighted the attacking options that were on our bench. So you could take a Damari Gray and insert him into the starting lineup over, you know, I I really wouldn't sit. I think McNeil or Awobi based on current form in favor of Damari Gray. So one of the things I talked about last episode was like trying to be more dynamic in attack by switching wingers, um, switching Awobi and McNeil, even if it's not for like the entire match, but throughout a match, letting them switch sides, try to create different matchups, confuse the defense a little bit more and might lead to a little more dynamism and opportunities from open play. And I think, Ryan, you had a good tweet basically saying like if you switch wings for both those guys, then they become instantly become more goal threats because they're, you know, goal scoring stronger foot is now on the inside and they can shoot. It's just, it's a thought, right? 
I think I think the only the only limitation is going to be you have to have the right fullbacks supporting those moments because if you have both of those guys just constantly cutting in, you either need the width and the pace in behind, or you're you're going to be easily thwarted in that regard too. And, and and so that really comes down to you know some of the questions we've asked before, which was you know when do we see maybe someone like like Ben Godfrey coming at one of the fullback positions? But you know I don't I don't know how you take out Coleman after his goal. Um, the other day, and, and and obviously Mikalenko had a had a good match, but I think the real question on defense, and we're still gonna keep asking it apparently, um, is how long can Sean Dyche keep playing Connor Cody? Yeah, because ultimately, if you continue to play him out, you can't play any of this anyway. I mean, what what in what lineup does he excel? I mean, I, I can't think like every tactic you choose, like Alex, to your point, the sideline. I think he'd be excellent <laughs> there. He's a great coach. That's why he was on the England team. If I hear that again, by the way, is there a dumber logic behind, you know, saying someone's good? Well, they're an international. That's my favorite one. I remember peeps to say about Mikolinko, well, he's a Ukrainian international. I mean, their world ranking is about the same as like Chile. Shani Tarashar was an international. Right. You get my point. I mean, I can go down the list and show you all the internationals out there for teams that are even more highly rated. Like, I'm sorry, who did <laughs> Walker Zimmerman shouldn't be playing for Everton either. And he started for a team you that's much that more highly. Re- he should not. Shouldn't. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, and he should sure as heck can't start in the Premier League. So anyway, the point the point I'm trying to make is that I, like you're limited in no matter what you do within your personnel. But this is one that just seems so obvious. Um, Andy, I, you know, there's so many comments to this and I get it because it's so obvious to so many people. Um, Andy Sieja's, uh at Schmub's comment here is pretty good, though, I think. Yeah, it's a good one. He said, not sure who's objectively worse at their profession, Anthony Taylor or Connor Cody. Why in the world Cody bites on the fake to his left when he has support there is beyond me. That's, of course, the second goal. Negatives aside, though, we were the better side for most of the day. Still couldn't finish onward. Uh, yeah, I mean, great question today. I think Anthony Taylor might take the cake in fav- over Connor Cody, but... Um, We then had RJ Altman on Twitter found this, and I thought this was uh, illuminating. We've had, Ryan, you've presented a similar stat in the past, This mu- probably like over a year ago, but basically just showing how much better our results are at a high level when Yeri Mina plays for Everton. And people talk about, well, he hasn't really played. He's always hurt. Da, 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 da. I mean, this is striking. If you're the only control variable is Mina in or out, it's a little ridiculous, the the disparity. So the numbers are from the last three years when Mina plays again, RJ Altman, uh, when he doesn't play, 20 wins. Oh, sorry. When he plays, 20 wins, eight draws, 13 losses, XGA average 1.15. So that's 68 points with an XGA of just over one. Three years when he doesn't play, 13 wins, 12 draws, 33 losses, 51 points, XGA average 1.64. So TLDR, he's played 41 and hasn't played 58, and yet we have 17 more points when he's played. Crazy. And and look, we've gone through the numbers on Cody, but, you know, I ran this the other day where I said, all right, there, I went through Y Scout, and you can use filters and whatnot. But of the 67 primary center backs in the Premier League with over 500 minutes of 67, he's 65th in successful defensive actions. This is a very defensive team. Like top four, four out of the top six are all Man City players, of course, because they're this always is not attacking. Per 90, to be clear, this is outright. No, this is per ninety. Oh. Um, yeah, I mean, just but the thing but that makes it so much worse, right? Um, and the thing is, he doesn't win a lot of his duels either. I mean, he's bottom half in that. Uh, so I just don't. I, I can't. Like he's debatably, if you took all the numbers together, 
the worst performing center half in the entire league. And yes, you could say, well, Tarkowski's really active and you want someone to step back and be positionally sound for him. At some point, you have to make a play. You know, I mean, I just you, you have to make a play. And just there's I just can't think of any circumstance whatsoever. And I'll tell you what. The other thing is, too, I've been saying from day one, they would not exercise the four point five million and they should not I've said this before. I said it again. People don't realize like four point five million for players over 30 is like top 30 fee in the history of the Premier League. So it's not that small a fee for the player you're getting. And people have to understand that immediately. People are like, oh, 4.5. That's nothing. No, it's not. No, it's not. There are a lot of players you can get that, but Berlino was 4.5. Nato, who we saw last week, was four. I mean, Matoma was less than that. I mean, you can get a good player for that if you're smart. So, no, I, I just, he needs to sit down. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and you know, the, the comparison with Mina and Cody a lot a lot of the time that we do on, on the ATP is specifically on, on the defensive side of the ball, but even on the offensive side of the ball too. I mean, Mina, in regards to, you know, how many points we've picked up in wins and draws and losses when he's playing, um, he offers something a bit more on the box. Well, let me rephrase that. He offers something a lot more on the box, I think, on, on set pieces, which is what we're aiming for. Um, you know, again, McNeil's creative numbers that way too. And, and that brings us to our next question, you know, which is, is the attack too predictable? Um, Jonathan Rees at Johnny Rees 316 said, we are a gladiator going into battle every week armed with a toothpick. Dice has them pretty well organized, but I sense there will be plenty of frustrating games like this. And it's true. And, and, but the craziest part is the amount of chances that we see created today, right? The XG that we've seen over the last handful of games, especially since Dice, Dice comes in is dramatically better than anything that we've seen previously under Lampard this season, right? So, so you know, relative to what we've seen from this team, we're still moving in a positive direction. And overall, I think it was a, it was a, it was a solid performance, but it, but, but it still begs the question. And I think we have a right to ask, right? Like, how are we going to um, set up to where, you know, our attack is not so predictable moving forward? And look, James Garner hit the nail on the head. I think this has to do with, he said, the board not signing a DCL style backup is hurting more than ever. I do think that if we're getting fined every week, we're well within our right to ask for a better standard officiating, by the way. I had to throw that in there because it's funny. Um, we asked the question, can Dice play without a target guy? And, and maybe there's some attempts to do that, but not really. I mean, effectively, you know, he, he's playing McNeil. McNeil's strength in this setup, I actually think he'd still be fine at right wing if you're playing a different way. In this setup is getting to the corner, getting to the line, crossing it or drawing a corner. And he's pretty good at that. But I don't see how that's effective without that target guy. So if you can't adapt, if you can't change, it's a colossal failure. And I don't know whose fault it is. Uh, a lot of people want to blame the recruitment team. Um I have a little insight into that. I think the truth will eventually come out. You'll find out that that wasn't necessarily the case, but it's just absurd. And, and it's just hard to watch this week after week when you can't help it in the back of your head. Think, you know, we're just a result of all the bad mistakes. And that's what you see on the playing field. Um, but yeah, so I made this comment back uh, to someone who blocked me for this. I mean, all I wrote was, so perhaps the idea of just whipping crosses into the box is the best strategy with Mope out there. I don't know how that gets you blocked. Um, but at Wombat underscore combat, Mike makes the point. I've been told Sean Dyche knows other ways to play, though. And I just don't know how. I mean, it's a fair critique and and I see it. I'm just kind of like, so is it just bad luck today or will that eventually produce goals? I mean, yes, of course, if Dominic Calvert-Lewin's healthy in there, God, you'd think he'd be a monster in this type of setup. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm just I I don't know. I I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I think if we're 
you know, you made the point a little earlier. If we're putting up averaging a one and a half, around one and a half XG every match for the rest of the season, you'd think you'd win more games you take than that. lose. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the horrific performances we've seen in some matches and the complete inability to create chances. Now it's more, well, we created some chances. We're just not really finishing them, um, at least today. But it goes back to the recruitment and not by the recruitment department, but by the club and the fact that I had this tweet. Like, So this is uh, from Michael at Greenall EFC, who said, this is at the end of the game, just spent the last 20 minutes thinking about how we gave Lampard the Wolves, Brighton, Southampton, and West Ham games just through blind effing faith. And I responded and said, it's, I think it's far more insidious than that. Like it's, it's not just blind faith. Let's hope for the best, at least not in regard to the Everton leadership. I think fans, we were just hoping, okay, maybe he'll turn it around. All evidence pointed to the contrary, but so be it. We have no control. People who did have control over the decision-making process of whether to let him go, uh, didn't do so out of either ignorance, dereliction of duty, incompetence, or all of the above. Like it wasn't, I don't, I don't think they can claim it was just, oh, we hope. If that's your answer as a leadership team, we're going to hope that things get better. You're not fit to lead. Yeah, hope is not a strategy, as I've said many times before. But I think the point is that we on the pod said repeatedly, it's the same performance every time week in, week out for Frank Lampard. At a minimum, I think we can safely say that even if this is not maybe the ideal way to score goals and we're not scoring goals, you can't argue with the chances being created. And I do feel like the team has more of an identity and are playing better. They're certainly in every match. If you're playing this exact same way against Wolves, Brighton, Southampton, or West Ham, I got to believe you're going to pull a victory or two out of there and certainly not lose the matches that we did. And that's frustrating, you know, and that that's, but that's what I'm talking about. Like, it is so hard to watch these matches at times. You just, it's just constant illustration or reflection of, I mean, dereliction of duty, whatever you want to call it, all those things, A through C, just in the back of your head the whole time. You know, it's just like, I mean, I don't, it's like jumping on a bicycle with a seat missing for 90 minutes. Sometimes I swear to God, oh it's God. just, no, it's painful, <laughs> man. And it's, it's so frustrating, you know, and, and, um, I don't want to go on too much of a rant here, but you know, we're just seeing it staring in front of our eyes. Um, and, and like you said before, Alex, like you're going to get to a point where there's no great way to play. That's going to be perfect with the personnel we have. It's just such a mismatch and just a mix a potpourri, shall I say, of um, players bought for different managers, which is in and of itself a flaw. But I can't help but think if you did buy a bigger, tougher striker, I mean, ironically, even Ron Don, um, y- you probably have a little bit more success. Um, but we didn't. And, you know, onward. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, to move into the closing words, really, it's a it's a brutal loss at Goodison Park against a team that we definitely could have beat. On a different day, Everton finished the day, you know, after City's win, um, you know, later on in the in the afternoon, back in 18th place with 21 points and 24 matches. Um, I've got to say it, it was mostly bad results across the board today for Everton in regards to, you know, who we're up against uh, towards the bottom of the table. Um, but obviously, you know, we still have 14 matches to play. Um, you know, it, it seems like Dice still has some some decisions to make on personnel and and uh, hopefully we we see a little bit of luck even out, maybe a bit of a bit more um, positive officiating or or <laughs> indifferent officiating even at that rate um, to close out the rest of the season and, and, and see us stay up somehow, some way. And we've got to win matches at Goodison. Um, we've got a tough run here, though. You got Arsenal, Forest, Brentford, 
Chelsea, Tottenham, United. I mean, it's those three that are killers. I'll tell you what, though, that forest match is massive. If you beat them, suddenly, you know, you're back in it. Um, these are not, I mean, it's the Premier League, man. There aren't many easy matches, and that one's not a Goodison. So it's hard to, I mean, I just don't want to look back and say that that stretch before where we should have made the change is the difference, but it is what it is. Um, look, but today wasn't the worst performance. The scoreline was tough. Um, so Hugh at Aussie Toffee Art. Outside the penalty, Villa's best chances were the fault of Cody. Yep. On another day, maybe with a different center back, one of our chances goes in and we win that match. Still far better than anything Frank put out during the first half of the season. And I think that's right. And I don't know what it's going to take for Dice to make that change. But if he can, and Mina could get a run of games healthy. Look, the bottom line is Calvert-Lewin's on this team and Mina's on this team. We got a chance against even the good teams. A chance. Maybe not a great one, but a decent chance. And... But boy, God, we just keep saying what if, right? Yeah, it's just it's just becoming that chances that we just let go without anything to show for it. And uh, I think Andy's comment wraps it up nicely. He said, let's move on quickly. Only table that matters is in May. Let's not panic in February. And though it was a lovely seven days outside the drop zone, we find ourselves right back in it. And I think it's going to be a bit of a yo-yo the rest of the way unless we get on a serious run. Um, but I do think... It, there are positives to take. We talked about a lot of them. I think Sean Dyche has shown improvement, vast improvement. And if we can ever avoid these stinking injuries, we've talked about it so much over the last two seasons. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, by the way, already ruled out for Wednesday's clash at the Emirates. So that's another blow. But if he's ever fit again, maybe we have a shot. Maybe he finally learns his lesson with Connor Cody. Um, but even with those mistakes, I think, or I guess um, opportunities gone missing, we do seem to be headed in a, a semi-positive direction and are remaining competitive in games and not just getting the do doors blown off us, which is a refreshing change. And hopefully it will lead to positive results in the future. I think that's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the American Toffee Podcast. If you enjoyed it, just a reminder, please leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. Follow us on social media, F Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at USA Toffee Pod, and join our Discord invite.gg slash ATP. Links in the description of the episode. Otherwise, we'll be with you next time following the match against Arsenal. Until then, until next time, up the toffees and sack the board.